my jumping off place is I won't be starting with a specific scripture text this time. We're going to talk about another doctrine that is important, a doctrine that in some circles is abused, in other circles is neglected. Um, but it is something that is so important for us as New Testament believers to understand, and that is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um, I am flipping through all these pages. This is my sermon notebook that has just like three blank pages left in it. Here we go. Um, I'm at the end of it, and some of my sermons recently have been in the new book, so now I have to carry two notebooks with me. There it is. So, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's going to be a, a few of these messages as we talk about this doctrine. Tonight's message, though, we're going to look at the doctrine or rather the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. There are many themes that run throughout the pages of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. There are some things that as we follow them, we see that their truth is the same in Old and New, but their operation changes. Um, for instance, the law of God. Uh, the law of God was given to the Jewish people. Hebrew children, as they were known back then, and um, <clears throat> it was given to them. But there is application to us as we look at the New Testament. We see there are some of those commands that were reiterated in the New Testament, things like the dietary command. Um, on the other hand, were the wording changed for us in New Testament times. But let's talk about this morning or this afternoon, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Now, as we get into this, one thought that I think is good for us to have in our minds is there is, of course, there are, you could divide the scriptures into a few different ways. I'm trying to remember exactly how Jesus worded it. Um, there was the law and there was the prophets and the Psalms. Um, we often refer to those as the law, the um, prophetic books. There's the poetic books, which is Job, um, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, those would be the poetic books. And then, of course, there's the prophets. And we even make a division between the major prophets, the prophets who wrote large portions of Scripture, and then the minor prophets, those who wrote small portions of Scripture. Then in the New Testament, we have the Gospels, and then we have the epistles, those letters that were written to the New Testament churches and to pastors as well, and then even one that was um, written to an individual member of a church over a personal issue that needed to be dealt with. Um, but as we look at those, one, one division we could make that is a very simple one is that to look at the Old Testament, the Gospels, and the Epistles. And the reason why I make this specific um, division is because it appears as you read the Scriptures that you could say that the Old Testament is the time of the Father. It's the father dealing with his people, Israel. You have the time of the Gospels, um, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the time of the Son, where Jesus is born. He does his ministry here on earth. It's the smallest period of time. It only lasts about 33 years. We have the death 
uh, the, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, his ascension, and it ends there. But then we have the Acts, and on into Revelation, this would be the time of the Spirit. Why do we say that? Look at the book of Acts. What happens when we get to the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit comes and descends on the church. And we could say that that, even to this day to day, is the day of the Spirit. But something that's important to recognize, and it keeps us from getting imbalanced in our doctrine, is realizing that even though the New Testament from the book of Acts on would, could be called the time of the Spirit um, during the church age, um, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to point to Christ. You could say it this way. Could I have two of the Schlichter guys come up here real quick? Um, actually, all three of you. Could all three of you come up here real quick? So I'm going to have <clears throat> one of these will represent God the Father. You'll be God the Father. You stand right here. And you'll be God the Holy Spirit, and you'll be God the Son. So you're standing here in the middle. The, the point of God the Father in the Old Testament was to point to Jesus Christ. So you just start pointing. I know your mom said it was rude to point, but it's okay right now. We'll apologize to her later. Um, so his pur purpose is to point to Christ. So you're going to have types of Christ in the Old Testament. You're going to have prophecies where the prophets are going to be prophesying. As we saw in Sunday school this morning, Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. We saw this morning, his hands would be pierced. We saw this morning in Zechariah um, that he would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey or on an ass. And so you have these scriptures, these types in the Old Testament that are pointing to Jesus Christ coming to pay for our redemption. Well, what do you have in the book of Acts? Well, the Holy Spirit comes, fills the apostles. For what purpose? The Bible says Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. And what did he start doing? He started preaching. What did he preach? He preached Jesus. What did he use? He started using the Old Testament scriptures to preach Jesus. When, when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, what did he use? The Old Testament scriptures to demonstrate and teach them about himself. So the Father is pointing to the Son, the Holy Spirit, and still today, the Holy Spirit's purpose in abiding in the church and abiding in individual believers is to empower, to point us to Christ and empower us to point others to Jesus Christ. So all of this, realizing the Old Testament being the time of the Father to point people to the Son, the epistles and the book of Acts and the book of Revelation, the time of the Holy Spirit to point people to Christ, we realize what is the central theme of all of the scriptures? It's Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Thank you, guys. So I, I think that visual is good. In my notes, I have eyeballs over the Father and eyeballs over the Spirit, and they're both looking at the center thing, which is the cross and the, the empty tomb. So it's all pointing to Christ. So I think as we get into this, we need to realize this and remember this. Another important foundational truth before we get into the main part of the message is understanding that what is true of God the Father is going to be true of God the Son and true of God the Holy Spirit. And one of those truths that we're going to look at today is the fact that we all would agree that God is eternal, right? A good verse for that, Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God 
is thy refuge. So we would all agree that from the very beginning of time, even um, Arians uh, who believe the, uh, a heresy that believes that at some point Jesus was created. Sometime in history, God the Father created God the Son. So he was a created being like the angels were um, and puts them on that same level. That was started by Arius who lived in the triple digit years. I can't remember which year it was, but anyway, somewhere in there. And one way, this is funny hymnology students, one way he taught his heresy was by writing hymns. Because I mean, if he preached it from the pulpit, he's going to get laughed down out of the pulpit, right? So he'd write hymns. And in his hymns, he would have this teaching that Jesus was not God. He was a creature of the sun. Well, um, have you ever noticed some of the really old British hymns, German hymns, and Catholic Latin hymns, um, like, um, oh, we've got a couple in our hymnal, um, of the Father's love begotten, begotten. Hymns like those were written to counteract Arianism. Because the last verse, anytime you find a hymn that says Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and something about three and one, in the last verse of a hymn, that roots from the battle with the Arians um, teaching that, or with Arianism, teaching that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit were equal. So how do we find glimpses of this in scripture? Well, you start looking for what is the characteristic of the Father? Does the Father and the Son have the same characteristic? Then they might be equal. But then it gets even more interesting. What about the Holy Spirit? So we agree God the Father is eternal. Amen? Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God is thy refuge. Well, if you look at 1 Timothy 1 and verse 17, the Son is spoken of as being eternal. Now, yes, there was a time in history in which the Son put on flesh. He came in a different form than he was in heaven. I don't know what he looked like in heaven before he was born in Bethlehem, but what we do know is what he looks like in Revelation. What did John see sitting on the throne high and lifted up? He saw, behold, the lamb. He appeared to be a lamb that was slain. Um, before the foundation of the world. Oh, wait, then that means Jesus is eternal. And even his death, I can't put my mind around that, okay? The fact his death, he was slain before the foundation of the world. That right there speaks to the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. That blows my mind, which that tells me um, that in the Old Testament, they were not saved by the blood of goats and lambs. They were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ that was going to be shed. Remember the father pointing at the son? Those lambs, those goats, those other sacrifices represented the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There's something called ultra-dispensationalism, and someone who is an ultra-dispensationalist will believe that at different times and peri different periods, different dispensations of history, people got saved different ways. And that there will be even another time in history where somebody will get saved a different way. Um, so in other words, in the Old Testament, they got saved by keeping the law. When you read the New Testament for what it says, it makes it very clear that it's impossible to keep the law. And so we realize never has works of righteousness saved anyone because the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Again, doctrine that blows my mind, but it has always been the death 
of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. It's his shed blood on the cross that always has and always will save the sinner. So the father is eternal, Deuteronomy 33, 27. The son is eternal, 1 Timothy 1, 17. And here's another one, Hebrews chapter 9. And we'll look at that again at the very end of the lesson. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number, starting at verse 11, we see the Holy Spirit as spoken of as the eternal spirit. So that right there tells me, oh wait, there's something about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that are equal. What is one of those things in which they are equal? Their eternal nature. They share an eternal nature that they have all three always been and always will be. As I said, Jesus took on the form of a human body um, when he came to Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. But we have the eternal nature of the three. So let's look at this time of the Old Testament. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. The first time we see the Holy Spirit show up, Genesis chapter 1. One That is pretty fast in Scripture for a doctrine to be established. Number one, here's the first point. I'm, we're just going to look at three things. There's so many more things we could look at tonight. We're going to look at three things about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Number one is that he was co-creator. Co-creator. And I say co-creator because according to Hebrews chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1, who was the creator? Anybody know? Who? You can say it. Christ. Jesus created everything, right? But let's look at this verse. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2. Oh, that is very early in Scripture. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, moved upon the face of the waters. Now, here's something interesting. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God. The name here, God, created the heaven and the earth, is the name Elohim. Elohim. And the, the word, or the, the sound him at the end, Elohim, that letter at the end, um, the way this name is written, identified the person mentioned here, God, as not being a singular person. Because in Hebrew, the ending of nouns could have a, a singular ending, which meant this is one person all by himself. There was an ending for nouns that could be dual, meaning two people took this action. And then there's a third, which meant three or more. And the name used for God at the very beginning of Scripture is the plural name. In the beginning, God. Now, the scripture is very clear. The Lord our God is one God. But this one God has a name with a plural ending, meaning three or more. So what would that mean? He's indicating here the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, which follows throughout scripture. Um, I mean, Paul, what some things Paul said, things like, I would to God that the whole, that the Father, Son, and Spirit would preserve you blameless. Um, the, there's mentions like that. But that whole concept comes from this word right here in the beginning, Elohim. The triune God created the heaven and the earth. 
And how did he do it? Well, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Um, if you look down at verse 26, verse 26, and God said, God is talking to himself, let, let me, is that what he said? Let us make man in, y'all can read it, our image after our likeness. So God is creating mankind. And what does he say? He says, let us. God is talking to himself. What do you mean? He's talking to himself. He's talking to himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, having a conversation with himself. Now, he creates man in his image. And I know some people would disagree with this analogy here, but to me, it seems very simple. If we have a triune God and he made us in his image, then we would end up as triune beings. And what does Paul say? I would to God that your whole body and soul and spirit. That tells us right there. We're made in the image of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit created us to be a triune person, Father, a triune person, body, soul, and spirit. And so I can talk to myself. Y'all ever have conversations? You see David do that in the scriptures. In the Psalms, what does he say? Oh, why art thou cast down, oh my soul? His spirit is communicating with his emotions, his soul. Why are you so discouraged? Why are you so depressed today? And he tries to encourage himself and get himself to hope in God. Um, sometimes he's talking about his body. I read a Psalm this week and he's talking about how woe is me basically. And he's talking about how pitiful his physical condition is. So here he is, he's talking about his body, he's talking to, so there's this communication with himself, trying to encourage himself in the Lord. If you look at Job 26, we see that again that the Holy Spirit is co-creator, Job 26. In verse number 13, by his spirit, he hath garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. We'll look at this in the future, um, and we'll see the different things that the Holy Spirit is represented. You know, in the New Testament, he comes in the form of a dove, and um, here's one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and that was the hand, God's hand. Um, but we see here, his spirit formed. Look at uh, Job 33 and verse number four. The Spirit of God hath made me and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Again, the breath of God. This is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 104. Psalm 104 and verse number 30. Psalm 104 and verse number 30. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created. Even today, how is a baby created. The Holy Spirit is what gives it life. Christ himself gives it life. All life is created by the Son and, according to these scriptures, by the Spirit. But you know, we, we look at that literally as to um, the creation of life, but if we look in the New Testament, John chapter 3, and verse 8, there is the reality of spiritual life, which again is produced by the work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3, 
Jesus talks about his death, how he is going to pay for our sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's the father, God the father, gave his only begotten son. He's the only one that has been begotten by the father, um, the only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that's the father's work. That's the work of the son to die as a substitute for our sins. But look, chapter 3 and verse number 8. The Holy Spirit has a work in producing salvation in our hearts as well. 3 and verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Look back at verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit is still in a work of creation. What is his primary work of creation today? Creating new creatures in Jesus Christ. So when we share the gospel with someone, the Holy Spirit is working in their heart to convict them of sin, to bring about a new birth, to produce new life. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's look at verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. He's just gone through a list of sins. And he says, some of you in the church at Corinth were guilty of these sins. You were living in the sin in the past. He said, but their condition now, ye are washed. But their condition now, ye are sanctified. But their condition now, ye are justified. They were sanctified, they were washed, they were sanctified, they were justified. They were saved, they were bought back to God to be his possession. They were justified, what powerful doctrinal, deep doctrinal truths, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by, who produced this work? By the Spirit of our God. By the Spirit of our God. It is the Holy Spirit that produces new life. That's the reason why Mrs. Petty could say, I don't remember a lot of things, but I know I'm saved. Because it's not, it, her salvation does not, is not based upon whether she remembers when she got saved. It's about that the Holy Spirit did a work in her heart and Jesus Christ saved her. And now post-trauma, when she doesn't remember all the details of everything, the Holy Spirit is still bearing witness with her spirit that she's a child of God. And so she can walk around going, ah, I don't remember all these things, but I know I'm saved. How do you know this? It's the work of the Holy Spirit who makes us a new creature, who has birthed us. He is still in the creation business. He is still co-creator with the Father and with the Son to produce eternal life in our hearts. That is an awesome thing. That gives me, that helps me as someone who works with kids a lot. I get so scared witnessing to kids because it's really easy to convince a kid to do anything. I could convince a kid to pray a prayer, repeat after me, and they go through the rest of their life saying they got saved because some weird nerdy guy with big glasses came to my neighborhood and gave me this prayer to pray. And I said those words. And at the end, he said, I was saved. So I'm going to heaven. Well, what did you pray? Oh, I don't know. What did he talk about? Oh, I don't know. What did Jesus do for you? Who's Jesus? They don't know. They prayed a prayer because this guy said this prayer will save you. And that would be totally wrong to say this prayer will save you. But um, 
when I remember that the Holy Spirit is the one that brings about a new creation, then I can look into the eyes of a child. I can present the gospel message to them. And when the Holy Spirit starts working and the Holy Spirit brings conviction, that child can come to the point of understanding truths that a 50-year-old man, a 60-year-old man, a 70-year-old man can understand. Why? Because the Holy Spirit that teaches the saint who's been saved his whole life is the same Holy Spirit that can work and bring understanding to the heart of a child in the projects who's never been through the church of a door. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that does that work. And so it gives me confidence when I go to witness to kids. Um, last summer, we had kids who we were told they had never heard the name of Jesus. It's in Mississippi. So that was very odd. Um, it is, uh, there is a Muslim cult type of group near this, uh, just on the outskirts of this town, and they're converting people in the town. Um, you now, in that little town in Mississippi, you now see people walking around with turbans, and, um, and the Christians are scared of them. Laura had a woman in a bakery one day, which we found out the bakery we were in was actually run by these Muslim people. And they're in the bakery, and the woman asks, Laura, oh, you seem like a stranger. Um, what you doing in town? So she started telling her, all these kids need to hear about Jesus. And she's so excited. And when she looked up, she saw the woman in her robe. Oh, oh, I mean, religion's good. Religion, Mohammed's good too. Why? She's scared to death of this woman. She lives there, and she's fearful for her. So the gospel witness has been highly watered down, and it hasn't helped that there's not gospel, solid gospel preaching churches in the town the churches have been turned over to immorality. It's a horrible situation that these kids are raised in. Well, I'm standing there teaching the Bible lesson thinking, how on earth do I bring this to an invitation point? I mean, I'm talking about the miracles of Jesus, and literally, I've never heard children do this before. I'm telling about the miracles of Jesus, and I talk about him healing a lame man, and the kids go, oh, no way. Healing a blind man. No way. The widow woman whose son he raised from the dead. Boy, they loved that one. They thought that was the coolest thing. This Jesus is amazing. And I had just never had that kind of a response from children. But then to see some of them get saved at the end of the lesson, that's what scared me. If this is the first time they hear the name of Christ, how are they going to be ready to be saved by the end of a 20-minute lesson? Well, when the Holy Spirit is sitting there or speaking in your heart, going, just give it, just give the gospel, give them the opportunity, and then to see some of those children respond and get saved, it's an awesome, awesome thing. But we have to remember the Holy Spirit is the co-creator with the Father and the Son, and the same one that created this whole universe will work to bring, create new life in the hearts of people, in the hearts of sinners. So number one, he's co-creator. Number two, <clears throat> we see that he spoke through the prophets. The Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets of old. If we can go back to our Sunday school passage from last time I taught, <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah 7 and verse 12. The prophet says, yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, as a hard, a flinty stone, possibly a diamond. Anyway, a hard stone that cuts, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. So he's saying that the prophets that preached before the Babylonian captivity, God's Holy Spirit had 
preached through them. Yet the people did not repent. They did not return to turn to God and the wrath of God came on them. Um, other passages, um, Ezekiel, Ezekiel talked about this. Let's just flip back there real quick. Ezekiel chapter two, beginning of the book. And you could follow through Ezekiel chapter two. And he said unto me, son of man, stand upon thy feet and I will speak unto thee. And the spirit entered into me. And when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that, uh, sorry, that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their father have transgressed against me even unto this very day. So when Ezekiel starts preaching, what happens? He said, the Holy Spirit came to me and the Holy Spirit told me what to say. Um, Jesus told his disciples that this was what was going to happen to them. He said, when you're taken off the court and you're in trouble for preaching the gospel, he said, the Holy Spirit will put in your mouth what you need to say. And the truth can be the same when we're witnessing we're sharing the gospel. If we have hidden God's word in our hearts, God will bring scripture to our minds. Um, there are times where I've been witnessing and I just don't know what to tell someone. And all of a sudden, this Bible verse I'd read in devotions comes to mind. I didn't have the first memorized. How do I know this verse? I read it three days ago. But the Holy Spirit brings it back to my mind. I remember specifically a couple different occasions. One, I was witnessing to a child. They had gotten saved in a really rough neighborhood, but they were really struggling because every time they did something wrong, they would come back to clubs the next day and want to get resaved. So I was trying to explain to them, you are God's child. And so as we're dealing with, they weren't understanding the concept of, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Probably because they had had so many people in their lives leave them and forsake them that this was not a truth they understood. And I had read recently in John, I believe it was John chapter 10. See, I can't even remember it now. Where Jesus talked about, um, he said, I hold you in my hand. The father holds you in his hand. I and my father are, there's another verse for the deity of Christ. I and my father are one. We are unified. We're one. So I, I hold you. We hold you in our hand. And so I pick up this little rock sitting there and I told the kid, this is you. I did it when I taught, taught about eternal security. It just came in the middle of witnessing to a child on the side of the Bible club, stuck into my hand. The kid got the concept. They may not have understood I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, but they understood that concept of being gripped in his hand. That was not something I had prepared. It was not something I had planned but on the spur of the moment, it was a truth that this child needed and the Holy Spirit brought it to mind. This is something that should be true for every one of us today. We live in the New Testament age. We live in the church age. When the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. I had someone mock me a few weeks ago because I had made a statement, uh, told a story about the Holy Spirit telling me to say something from the pulpit. And I got a scathing letter afterwards. And one of the things they did was mock me for saying that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I tell these stories because I want every one of you to understand that the Holy Spirit is real and alive. And if he doesn't live inside you, you are not a believer. And you need to get saved. But if you are a believer, now we can quench his voice. It's a still small voice. 
We can ignore him. We can have sin in our life that blocks him out. What's the funny thing is, my whole life I heard, if you've got sin in your life, the Holy Spirit will not communicate with you. He will not give you direction. He will not speak to you. Well, I really believed that. And so as a result, and that is true for the most part, but I came to the point, if I, I wanted to be used by the Holy Spirit, I would just start praying and confessing all my sin so that I could be used by the, you, you get some flesh in here? And then one day, there was a sin I had just committed, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly about something I needed to do. And I did it, and I realized instantly, the Holy Spirit told me to do that, and there are amazing results. Wait, I hadn't even confessed my sin yet. It was like, God said, because it's all about me and it's my Holy Spirit and it's not about you and how clean you can get yourself. And all of a sudden, all of my ideas, my high place of my confession of my sin just got shattered right there. Now we need to keep short accounts of our sin, okay? I'm not talking about that. But what God was showing me in that situation was, this is not about how clean you can get yourself because it's my cleansing work in your heart. And so we need to realize the Holy Spirit still wants to speak to us. He speaks to us through his word. A lady called me one day and told me something that the Holy Spirit had told her to tell me. Made me sick at my stomach because I knew it was contrary to what was true. And it was contrary to what I had seen in scripture. And so I had to tell the lady when she gets through talking, I just had to tell her, well, ma'am, that is contrary to what God has told me. And so I know that's not true. She got off the phone really fast. I was sitting in a Chick-fil-A when it happened, and I just felt sick in my stomach. I thought, I have offended this poor woman. I mean, she was really trying to be sweet. She was really trying to be helpful. But what she was saying was just totally wrong in the situation. A few minutes later, my phone rang again, and here she is. And I thought, oh, does she have more ammo? Boy, I'm in trouble now. She said, Aaron, thank you. She said, thank you for speaking the truth. She was acting on emotions and not on truth. And so we can all do that. I counseled a girl one time, and I won't even tell you what I told her to do. I was in the flesh. I was mad at her mother, and I told her to do something that would dishonor her mother. Anyway, she cried. She didn't do what I said. Short time later, her mother died. We're working out at a church camp. I get under conviction during the invitation. I know I counseled her in the flesh. And I do not want to go apologize to this girl, young woman, for giving her this bad counsel. But I got up and I went and I confessed that I was acting in the flesh. I was acting because I was angry at her mother and asked her forgiveness. And anyway, we can start thinking the Holy Spirit speaking to us and it's just our emotions. And when we're doing that, where is our check to make sure that we're responding in the Spirit, that we're walking in the Spirit? The Word of God would not tell this young woman to defy her mother like I was telling her to do. And so that was my check. Okay, you know what? I should have said, I should have thought about it, thought about the whole situation here, and given her wise advice. I didn't give her wise advice. Why? I wasn't checking what I thought might be the Holy Spirit in the heat of the moment by the word of God. But God spoke through the prophets of the Old Testament. He still wants to speak to us the same 
or through us, maybe not in exactly the same ways, but he'll speak through his word. He'll speak to our hearts. And when we stand up to share his word, he will speak through us. Number three. So number one, he was co-creator. Number two, he spoke through the prophets. Number three, the Holy Spirit came and went from people. Notice came and went for the purpose of ministry. So the Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell believers in the Old Testament. In fact, to see the clearest picture of this, I think in the whole Old Testament is in 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel, beginning at chapter 10, Saul is um, anointed to be the king, the first king of the nation of Israel. So in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse number 6, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. So the Holy Spirit was going to come on Saul, was going to fill him, he would start prophesying, and he would be turned into a different person. Isn't that interesting when the Holy Spirit comes and works in somebody's heart and they get saved? They become a different person. The Holy Spirit can really change a sinner. Look at verse number 10. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. The Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit begins to work, but did it stay this way in the life of Saul? Saul chose to directly disobey God, walk um, contrary to the word of God, the ways of God. And in um, 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning at verse number 22, it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now, he's been rejected from being king. And if you look down in chapter 16 and verse 14, it says, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. A couple of things. We need to understand, first of all, that this is not evidence of his salvation. This is evidence of the ministering work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has come on this man, Saul, for the purpose of leading the nation. He has been anointed and the Holy Spirit has been on him so that he can be an effective and powerful king. But when he disobeys the God, uh, when he disobeys God, and he had had some attitude before, he had had some disobedience. But when he goes and he takes things from the enemy that God said to destroy, and he brought them back, and he claims we're get, we brought it all back so we can offer to sacrifice to God, God rejects him from being king. The Holy Spirit leaves. Look at First Samuel chapter sixteen and verse number thirteen. It says, then Samuel took a horn of oil. This is after he's gone out and found the new king, David, as a young man, and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David. And here's a unique statement for the Old Testament. This is, I cannot find any other person that this is said about in the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit, sorry, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. 
That's interesting because others, I mean, it would say in the prophet came, I mean, the Holy Spirit came and spoke to the prophet and the prophet did something great. Oh, the spirit came to so-and-so and and did something great. Here, um, the spirit came on Saul. He prophesied. He became the first king of Israel. He disobeyed. The Holy Spirit left. And where did it go? It went straight to David. Why? Because David had a ministry. It wasn't just to be king. It was to give us a book, the book of Psalms. He was to be a prophet that God was going to speak to, that God was going to speak through, that God was going to rule the nation through. And he had disobedient problems as well. And that's the reason why in Psalm 51 and verse 11, he says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That used to bother me as a teenager because I would pray that prayer. I would go, I memorized Psalm 51 and sometimes I would pray it to the Lord after sinning. But then I'd get to that verse and I'd think, but I know the Holy Spirit was given to me. He's given to me to stay with me. So, but I know all the Bible is true. So how can this contradict the other? Well, it doesn't contradict the other. David wrote this in a time period in which the Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell people. It was the Old Testament. He worked a little different. I know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but there are different times in history when, in which God will work differently. And at this time, he would come and he would go. And so David got scared when he sinned. He realized the Holy Spirit may leave me because it's what had happened to Saul. And so he asked the Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And so if we, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, if we are people who dwell only in the Old Testament or primarily in the Old Testament, and we base our doctrine on Old Testament thinking, then we're going to have some doctrinal error. At this point, Psalm 51 and verse number 11 is going to tell us we can lose the Holy Spirit, right? But we have to go to the New Testament as well. And as we conclude this afternoon, I want us to look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Now, as I've already said, in um, the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went for the purpose of ministry. John chapter 14. Verse number 16, he says, and I will pray the Father, this is Jesus talking, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide. This Greek word translated abide means to move in with no plans of leaving. So it's a permanent move in. You know, you bought the house, you bought the property, you're staying there till you're dead, except he's not going to die because we've already established he's eternal, right? So the Holy Spirit has come to abide with you forever. So he has two ways of saying forever in this passage, that he is a permanent resident of the believer. Can you praise the Lord that we don't have to be like David and worry about the Holy Spirit leaving us? We may not experience his power because the Holy Spirit, uh, sin can quench his voice. Sin can dull his voice but he has come to abide with us forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. He told the disciples, you already know him. I figure they're all standing there going, huh? How do we know him? You know, you can know somebody and not even realize you know him. My wife and I met. Uh, that's obvious, but before my wife and I officially met, we officially met. We were at Knoxville with how many thousand people that year? I was sitting up in the, um, in the auditorium um, there at 
Tennessee University. I'm sitting up on the grandstand and I look down and I spot this woman I knew sitting on the floor. Not on the floor, but on her chairs on the floor. And I, oh, there's Miss Jean. It was Mr. Bogner, my father-in-law's sister. I had worked with her in ministry out in California and um, really loved that woman. God had, uh, she was just really special. Um, we had spent some special time ministering together. And so I was so excited. So during break, I go down to see Miss Jean and she says, oh, this is my brother, Dick. Oh, hi. You know, this is my sister-in-law, Valerie. This is Mel- my nieces, Melanie and Laura. And I'm like, hi. And Laura goes, hi. And she went back. Anyway, went down the row and a couple years later, Laura and I meet at Indianapolis, and anyway, you know the story. We fell in love, got married, went on our honeymoon. We got home from the honeymoon, and for a long time, it was just like pajama parties every night. We'd just talk and talk and talk, and then finally, it's like we have to go to sleep sometime or another. And that night, we're just laying there talking and talking. We were talking about how many functions we had been at at the same time and never met each other. In fact, in the conversation, we realized how close we stood to one another in the choir one day. How many thousand voices were there in that choir? I don't remember, but I got up and went out and pulled my scrapbook out and I found a picture and here is Laura, two rows forward and like three people over is me. And so anyway, all of a sudden I just sat up in bed. I said, I've met you before. (laughs) She said, well, that's kind of obvious. And I said, no, 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 no. And I began to tell her the story about seeing Aunt Jean down sitting on the floor. She said, yeah, we sat with her that year. I remember this strange guy walking up and she said, hear him and enter. That was you? And we had met before. The disciples are being told by Jesus, oh, you already know him. Sure. He's already been working in their midst. I mean, Jesus speaks and casts out devils and all kinds of things. The Holy Spirit's been working. I mean, read the gospels. The Holy Spirit is present. He's talked about in the gospels working. Jesus said, you already know him, but... Look what he says. The last verse is 17. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He says, oh, he's been with you, but something's going to change soon on the day of Pentecost. He was going to come to dwell in them. What an absolutely powerful, powerful truth that we have here. So as we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we see number one, he was co-creator in creating the universe and still working today to create new life in sinners. Number two, he spoke to the prophets and he still, still speaks to and through us today. And then number three, he came and went in the Old Testament from people for the purpose of ministry. But today, he permanently indwells Believers, for what purpose? To minister to us and to minister through us. What a powerful, powerful truth. And it is my desire that through these these lessons we're going to have here on the Holy Spirit, that we all come to recognize His still, small voice, and we learn to follow the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Let's sing a song in conclusion tonight, let's all take